0: Hey buddy, how you doing?
1: Hey Stu, I'm doing well, thank you. How about you?
0: Ah, oh, you know what? I since I come into recovery, I never know how to answer that question.
1: So <laughs> <laughs> it always ends up at the same like, how are you? Trying to avoid push, push mm. my own feelings away for a second.
0: Well I I also about. I also find this like particular at work or with friends and things like that outside the fellowship you just end up with this stock answer, oh, it's fine, or it's good, or you end up with saying, oh, you know, I'm not well, or uh, or something. But I find in recovery, I end up with very different answers. Like, you know, like you get on a fellowship call and you have a conversation yeah. with someone. And sometimes you might even have a 10-minute check-in, something like that, but you – I don't know about you, but I find that I kind of get to a fairly – more meaningful answer very, very quickly. Like people, like it's accepted that people want to really understand, like they're not just asking superficially, like, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, fine, fine. They, they want to actually know how you're doing. And so when someone asks me that outside of the fellowship, I just don't know how to answer. It's like, uh, uh, like good, I think, I don't know.
1: You know it's funny because I've, I've seen it's been a topic with my therapist and other fellows and it's, Jeff, I think he's, I've just lost a bit of interest talking to other people because of it. The conversations are just top level, and its I've had those for years. I kind of know what's going to happen. The weather's good, or it's bad. You know, it's well, well, I'm or,
0: British, so I, I love talking about the weather. It's like exactly, we, we never right? grow out of subsistence <laughs> farming in our heads, and so we're, we're, we're obsessed about the weather. But.
1: <laughs> no, but that's what I mean. And do you know what? It's fine, but there's no content. I just noticed I came home yeah. from playing board game with a few friends, and the conversation is mostly, what are you doing for the rest of the weekend? How has your week been? Mm. But no one really talks about how are you.
0: How'd you feel? Yeah.
1: If they just you feel what well,
0: what's what's the what's the really nasty stuff going on in your head? That's yeah. that's the stuff I feel that is most valuable for me to share, which I just don't feel comfortable sharing with so many people outside the fellowship. Just just don't do it. Just don't go there.
1: Do you know what's funny though? Because we all have those nasty thoughts, but it's like everyone's just afraid to admit it. And I get it. I mean we have a whole programme to help us touch upon mm. these toxic or radioactive
0: feelings, but do you, do you think we have worse thoughts than other people? I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I Honestly, think we probably do because th- we're addicts.
1: No, I, I actually don't know if you do. Do you think? I don't
0: know. I, I'm only ever in my own head, so.
1: <laughs> I mean, it's... I Definitely, when it comes to sex, I, I think definitely I'm on the... I'm on the tail end of thoughts, probably. But with, with other things, I don't know. Just, I have a feeling when I've talked to friends and start asking how they're doing and you can see you tried to probe you tried to dig and substance never really comes out and then you sometimes i just for fun i share what i'm really feeling and you can see they're uncomfortable like they don't oh, want to really? they don't know how to sit in this like what are we doing he actually shared mm. something here i'm like all i wanted to do was just put it out there be like this is me
0: the, this you're reminding me of um a period in my childhood and i've heard many other fellows on meetings shared similar stories of let's just say inappropriate boundaries as children saying things and talking about things that, you know, we, yeah, I guess it was part curiosity, but also kind of those, you know, for, for, for me, and I think maybe for others as well, those, you know, um not understanding what a clear boundary is and appropriate kind of things to kind of breach in the context around doing that. And then just getting this really adverse reaction from people and, you know, like, adults in particular or teachers or you know the kids and just kind of like being really like ashamed by you know the things that have come out of my head and if I look at them now as an adult they they really weren't they were just like a kid just trying to understand things you know and like but I kind of I almost like trip back into that that kind of memory when I you know I just talking about sexual stuff do you, you, you with me Are you kind of you understand what I'm, getting, what I'm kind of saying so,
1: sort of i mean i think i was yeah. more provocative as a kid i said it more mostly to provoke but i mm. think it was also to be seen be like i know these things oh. i don't know how to sit with these things so it was i think the intent as young was to provoke and get a reaction but i think as an adult looking back it's it's because there were these big difficult things i couldn't understand i needed help but didn't quite know how to ask for help in, a, in an okay way
0: mm. interesting i, I yeah I I'm I, I'm not sure I I definitely I definitely no actually no I'm saying I, I I didn't say stuff to provoke no I definitely did probably less <laughs> so when I was very young but certainly certainly as I kind of got into my teens and my twenties I just said some horrible so, stuff to people. What just, kind of stuff? Just oh, I mean, it's hard to think of specifics now, but I I mean I just would would push the boundaries and push people's buttons just to kind of just to kind of see how they would react and just to kind of get a reaction and um wasn't cool really i'm not sure why i did that i don't know why i did that
1: i feel like that's what most things we do though you look back at me like that made no sense
0: yeah yeah maybe i was just like you know maybe i was just experimenting trying to see how people react to things see where the real boundary was i i I don't know but um
1: but it's funny that you talk about the meaningfulness of conversations with others. And I've, I've seen through kind of self-discovery, it's finding act- finding like-minded people is becoming more and more difficult the further into uh, recovery I'm coming yeah. in. I'm currently, I'm battling it. I think I'm mourning in a sense that it's going to be very difficult to go to a pub and meet people that I find interesting, that we're not just talking about sports or uh, talk about uh. work. And in a sense, I'm mourning that but also not fully accepting that actually I do have an entire fellowship to pull up on, which actually great people. But I do think that for me, there's a little bit of shame being like, these are my friends. This is where I found my friends in recovery. Cause it's not normal in a sense. It's like when you found your partner on Tinder 15 years ago, right? It's a little bit of a stigma against dating on Mm. Tinder. Now everyone does it, but it feels for me like if I were to date on Tinder back then, so like, so it's very challenging. Actually, I'm noticing in recovery, I've lost a lot of friends because I don't find the relationships meaningful. Mm. But I'm struggling to develop new meaningful relationships.
0: We we always like that. We're you always not interested in the superficial stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Same. Same. I I I never was one for small talk, and I, I've I've learned it as a skill, I guess, and like an adaptive behaviour, for one of a better phrase, but. Not my natural style at all, and I, I kind of just don't see the point of it in a lot of ways. And and, and in some ways, it's okay. It's like you know, there's maybe I have kind of over-indexed. There are times and places, obviously, just for light-hearted chit-chat, like you know, of course there are. But um, just just to have that as the predominant conversation in my life, just yeah, I, I've just never seen it. And and I think as well as I, I recoiled a lot against that in in a lot of my friendships, I, I really wanted to. Have meaningful conversations, and because I wasn't getting it, I would overcompensate. So I'd really drive conversations to try to have something meaningful, or to try and steer conversations out of stuff, or belittle. Even worse, belittle and put down just the light-hearted conversations, which people were perfectly enjoyable having, or maybe they were, maybe they weren't. But that—that that was what I was experiencing at the time. I didn't want to have that, and so I kind of would try and push it into another type of conversation. And yeah, it's. Just, was was often left coming away with those conversations of that was that just felt a bit hollow and I also feel like I tried to manipulate the conversation into something else and then was disappointed with it and and so it was a double it was a double hit in a way It was like I was disappointed but also I manipulated it and tried to change the conversation in a way that perhaps people didn't want to go to or the other thing I did is I just just would sit there and just not really engage very much just thinking about other stuff because it's like, well, what am I here for? You, you know, and, um, probably just over indexed on it. And I, I f- strangely enough, actually in some ways now I'm in this fellowship and I have lots of meaningful conversations. I have this duality where I still seek those conversations with other people, but I'm less, uh, I, I guess I'm less, um, trying to force it now. It's just like, if it, if it comes up, if the opportunity comes up, I'll have it. But Yeah.
1: Did you ever feel lonely when, when you were kind of forcing those conversations or weren't engaging in them? When you couldn't really have the conversations you needed or wanted,
0: it's just like just felt lonely. Full stop. I mean, just like you know, that sounds like uh, a good that, point. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, you know, like we wouldn't be sex addicts if we didn't feel lonely. I'm was, guessing certainly for me, but it are
1: right. I mean, I'm, I just remember, on what you're saying, most of my childhood, teenage years, young adulthood, I felt lonely because. It felt like I was, in a sense, just manipulating people. I was really good at getting on the people's skin in a good way, really getting to know them. Mm. No one knew me. I was really good at making people Mm. vulnerable. Because I brought the conversation into a place where I felt like there was some substance, which means that I didn't feel lonely, but I've constructed this fake scenario. They don't, other people didn't necessarily know they were in it because we weren't two. They were the only one who were vulnerable. So, in a sense, Mm. still, sitting there and I felt lonely because it wasn't connection
0: you you just said something really interesting there to me which was you you felt lonely but you uh, and you were trying to provoke people but you they didn't actually know you and and i i've had that i felt not very well understood and not very known but also i feel that actually that's a projection of what i feel inside because for a long time i denied the my kind of true nature I denied who I really was I didn't really know myself and I as you're saying that I'm thinking I felt that but I also feel that that was my projection onto other people like they don't know me but actually the truth that the the reason why that was important to me is not because other people don't know me because there's several billion people on this planet and and most of them don't know me that's just shouldn't be a problem that the real problem is I didn't know myself yeah I wasn't honest with myself. I didn't, I, it was this, I did, but I didn't want to look at it. And so I wasn't prepared to look at myself. I didn't want to look at myself and know who I was. And so I didn't go there. And then it kind of, I guess it when it, when I'm faced with that in a relationship, it's a reminder of that mirror of what's inside for me.
1: It's a good point. I don't think I've ever viewed it that way. And it's fascinating hearing you say that. And it, it's true. I mean, up until recovery, I didn't even know what feelings were. I I thought I knew what feelings was. There's either extremes, you know, extreme happiness, Uh, extreme sadness. But as working through recovery, I mean, I'm starting to see, I'm actually starting to see the complexity of who I am. And I thought I was always uh, so simple to deal with. But I mean, I I was always, I think I always just scratched the surface, kind of on the back of your point there. uh, Kind of projecting that I didn't know myself onto others. And it's. I I think that's the fun bit of recovery. I mean it's really challenging, but it's opening up these small nuggets of knowledge. <laughs>
0: I, I I it's just interesting what you're saying about feelings. Um
1: which one of them? All of them.
0: <laughs> no, all of them. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, the uh, I guess how I if I if someone was to ask me how how would you characterize your life today in recovery versus, you know, before you got into recovery any period before recovery the the biggest thing i would i could probably say was i mean there's lots to, there's lots that has changed but something that is pretty fundamental i think is that i feel like i'm alive now and and that might sound really strange like to you know maybe someone who's listening who's who's who doesn't suffer from from this addiction or suffer from addiction in general but you know i remember my sponsor when i kind of first got into recovery he talked about this withdrawal period and he said, yeah sure it's gonna it's gonna take you like two to three months to dry out from lusting you know um just kind of fantasy and lusting and living in the addiction and getting your fix don't underestimate it and he says you know and he, he had this phrase which you know he occasionally repeats me because I, I still forget it which is the good thing about recovery is you get your feelings back the bad thing about recovery is you get your feelings back which means you feel everything and it's but in some ways, I, well, in fact, in many ways, I, I had completely numbed out through acting out and my fantasy and my behaviours and those types of things. And I just, I just wasn't feeling. Like, I, I had this, it's like, it's like I'd put this massive soundproof wall up and container around my feelings. And so what I was getting was this very muffled, like noise out like you know I could get the rumblings and like the tremors through so I knew something was there but I didn't really know what it was and I thought and and if you'd have asked me at the time it's like no I know you know I feel stuff I feel happy I feel angry I feel sad I feel all these things but the quality of how I feel and my emotions and the range of how I feel and the nuances now it just it just feels like someone has just taken all that soundproofing off and like oh wow look it's like there's a symphony of emotions here which is some of it's pleasant and some of it's bloody unpleasant, but it's all okay. They're all valid experiences and they're all valid emotions, and it's all something that's being communicated through me. It's fascinating. And, yeah. It's
1: fa- fascinating that you say that because I, especially in moments when I've gotten back a lot of the sadness and been able to sip with the sadness. I've I've noticed that in a in and of itself it feels almost like a high sometimes. Mm. And I sit there and I I'm kinda of surprised because it feels exactly Like it was chasing to Mm. like chasing sex or people or drugs or alcohol for me. When I'm really deep down sitting in my sad feelings, that experience is equally as intense, but much more rewarding. And it's really conflicting, but also really fun seeing Mm. that, that actually getting my feelings back. Now I want that. I want to feel, I'm actually chasing something different, but the chasing Mm. is still there
0: yeah and it's it's interesting for me because i i, I definitely feel that um as you're saying as uh, you're saying those words i also have moments where it still feels overwhelming and and it's strange because I, every experience i've had of this is that the feelings actually are always manageable they're always i can always handle the feelings they can be very intense it can be very unpleasant at times um but I can always handle them. And feelings don't, emotions don't kill you. Thoughts do, thoughts are bloody dangerous. You know, I get a thought in my head and I run with that and I get a stupid idea. You know, it's a bit like, you know, if you're really depressed, the depression won't kill you, but the thought of killing yourself will, you know, the thought is bloody lethal. The emotion itself isn't. Um, But it's not, I'm not programmed that way. I'm not, you know hardwired that way that's like that's not a natural way for me to think that's not my default thinking of you know actually takes a lot of awareness I guess I think it's awareness is probably the right thing because once I'm aware of it now I can I can sit with it more comfortably and I can be with those emotions and, and remind myself that actually this is all just kind of the way it's meant to be and it's it's kind of okay and and um, relax a bit but
1: do you know that's actually something I'm with you for quite a long time and because it I get those feelings of hopelessness and despair and I, uh-huh. I feel it's all consuming. I subconsciously I don't know how to sip with it. I uh-huh. might acknowledge it, and then sip with it for a second and kind of resolve it and then step away from it. But then it sneaks back in very uh-huh. quickly, very subtly. It can happen several times in a day. And I still wish I managed to figure out how to sit in those painful feelings. So it's funny, sometimes mm. I seek feelings which are difficult to deal with, but I know them. I, I can accept them and have them, but it's the feelings I don't want to deal with. I'm still struggling to have. Because yeah. I don't yeah. want the experience I don't want to have. Still, oh, I'm an you're, addict.
0: You're, you're doing step six and seven right now, so this is perfect.
1: Moving on <laughs> to step eight and nine, so it's going to be even <laughs>
0: No, but it's, it, you know, the the, the the thing I've, I think the thing that probably helps me the most in my mind is that um fighting emotions and is is a bit like standing at the edge of a set of rocks and having the waves bash you around right that is relentless it is overwhelming you're never going to win that battle and you're going to be sore and you're going to be bruised and you're going to get salt up your nose and in your eyes and it's going to sting <laughs> and you're going to slip off and crack your head and, like, you know, like, swear a lot and then you kind of climb back on and you're going to get bashed down again and it's hard to pick. it. Like, it's just exhausting. And that that motion of those, like, that resistance is so, so hard. But if you just let go and jump into the sea and, you know, there are no... You don't feel the waves under the sea. There is no bashing around. There's nothing, you know, like, there's, all of that just goes when you're in it. Like, you know, just kind of that overwhelmingness feeling you're just going, okay, fine, overwhelmed. Just just bring it on. And it's, it, it feels in a similar way in my mind of, you know, resisting. You know, it's funny, you know, we were talking earlier on about that honesty of really looking at ourselves and knowing ourselves. I always knew who I was. Like, how could I not know? really how could I not know it's it's always inside like I've done this stuff the crazy things and ugly things and um the thoughts and but I partitioned it off in my mind and segmented it and partitioned it off and you know I I, I don't know if you've ever had this experience but I heard I've heard some other fellows talk about this as well as I've almost had blackouts through acting out of you know I was doing acting out behavior and then you know end of the day I you know and I'll think back on things I couldn't I couldn't actually remember what I did in that intervening period yeah. and so I've kind of partitioned this off in my head and and resisting the knowledge of who I was and not looking at that and the fear of who I was is like so so much harder because it's it doesn't change anything it doesn't change who I am it's, it's always there like the the actions that I've done the way I've behaved, the way I've acted, the thoughts in my head, how I felt about things, none of that has changed. I've just looked at it. And as soon as I looked at it, all that fear, all that resistance, all that mental energy of fighting that just goes. You know, it just goes completely. And, it's, and you know what? The truth is never as hard as the imagined truth. Because you always know the truth, right? But it's the imagined, like it's like it's the monster that sleeps under your bed when you're a kid that is flipping huge. And then when you turn the light on, it's like, you know, or, you know, you see some dark thing over in the corner and it's actually, it's just your dressing gown hanging up on the back of the wall or whatever it is, but it looks this really scary thing. And the truth of it actually in the light is never as, never as scary and it's never as hard.
1: Do you know what's fascinating? My sponsor once said that, you know, when you fantasize, which is essentially worrying about the future, it's a different kind of fantasy. He was saying that, you know, it's, the details are never there. You might see exactly what you want to see, but the rooms, the action is going in. It's kind of, have you thought about the colors on the wall? You you really just uh-huh. focus on minute details in your fa- or like one minute detail in your fantasy. But in the present, you have all the color of the world, right? And for me, I've I've realized why that was very, very helpful was that I like to know a lot, to have a little bit of control, because it makes things a little bit more predictable for me. Uh-huh. What I didn't realize until he said that is, actually, there's so much more detail in the present Uh. than worrying about the future. So actually, if I need to look for things that makes me feel safe, it's probably just here right now. Because here Uh. I can see everything. But then when you start worrying, when you don't trust that things can be better, or no, when you don't trust that things are the way they're meant to be, and you start making up other scenarios in your head, Uh. the world gets very scary very quick. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I've I've had a similar conversation with your sponsor as well. I think on this as well, it, 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 the <laughs> the the notion that you, you know, if you think about the richness and the unlimited creativity of this universe that we live in, and the idea that my tiny little brain, in comparison to the size of the universe, can hold a match to that richness is just like like just no it just can't and so yeah and so I can try and create a fantasy in my head or even try and recall something in the past but it is never as rich as this real moment and and I had a um you know I had a uh a, a quite an intense retreat couple of couple of weeks back which 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 you know about and um I, I I've been on this journey for quite a long time actually a personal development journey probably a good kind of 30 years something like that and Um, and within that, there's been some, a lot of spiritual components and I've, you know, tried a lot of different things and explored a lot of avenues from, you know, some very practical stuff around therapy to more kind of like spiritual things and, you know, meditation and all sorts of other stuff. And I, I just had this moment of clarity on this last retreat, which was, um, I, I've got this wrong. I've, I've, I've got this wrong for last, well, all my life that I am not going to transcend through this magical door and not be me on the other side of it. I am me like that. Like if I transcend and become an enlightened individual and whatever it is, which it was this kind of thing I've been chasing, I'm still going to be me and I'm still going to have all that stuff in my head and all those thoughts and emotions and all of those things. And that is not the solution. Like it's not, the mysticism of the world isn't on this transcended state over behind some kind of like glass door it is here right now it's like as we're talking on this podcast it's the conversation we're having right in this moment this is this is the richness and mysticism of the the universe and quite frankly you you could not make anything more vivid or crazy or insane as a ride that you've kind of been on in your life, right? And certainly I couldn't, I mean, I could not dream this up, right? Like it's just been such a ride and I'm like, you know, it's not finished yet, right? Of course, but um, yeah, the mysticism is here. It's not, you know, it's not anywhere else. And that's what I was doing. I was looking for mysticism somewhere else and it's just all here.
1: It's fascinating you mentioned that we talked earlier about people not really wanting deep conversations that Mm. this is actually one of the conversations I love inviting them into. The fact that we, or most people fantasize a lot but they're not aware of them fantasizing they just think mm. i'm thinking about the future i want this i want that we're thinking mm. a lot about the past mm. fantasizing about yeah. your past being different that's not an addiction conversation per se but you bring that in and then i've what i've seen is a lot of people haven't thought of that before that actually they try to just create control in their own world the best they can by fantasizing future past things they want things they don't want but actually mm. In their own existence, in that moment, yeah, there's a lot of things they see they don't like. But actually, most yeah. things are okay.
0: Mm. More often well, than not. Well, well, I, I love Eckhart Tolle. He says this kind of phrase of when you're, when you're worried about something, just when you come into this present moment, what problem is there now? Right in this moment. None. Like, as, you know, I've, I've got a lot of worries, right, about the future and anxieties and things like that. But sat here right now in this chair, what what problem do I have? I don't have any problem. And True. it's just like, it's just made up, you
1: know? But, but what, what, I, what I started to learn is how minute those problems can be. Right now, I like having that dinner today, I need to make dinner later. So I'm worried about what I'm going to eat, but I'm not hungry at the moment. Mm. Do, you, do you say it's like, it's not even an issue currently.
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It, the, you know what? I, I guess what? You're always going to need a, need to eat at some point and you're always going to be hungry. And <laughs> that's guaranteed, right? Exactly.
1: But it's those, I'm finding the big things I'm aware of. Me stressing about work and life. That's in the future always. But those small things in my day to day, they steal. They steal time. They steal mm. joy. And they steal my ability to sip with my difficult feelings. Because if I'm really grounded in the present and I have bad feelings, nothing's scary. Because that's the feeling's just there there's nothing more to it if I start introducing
0: the future to that feeling yeah. oh my days <laughs> you you said you said something to me a while ago which is which is stuck with me which is um because uh, because I think we we've got fairly similar minds and we, we we've both done some military kind of service as well and um uh, that actually when the when the world is falling apart actually you know we're, we're, we're all right like we're not panicking like when things are, when the shit is actually hitting the fan, it's fine. It's when it's not. That's, and and it's, when you're saying that I, about these little things, when there are really big problems in my life, I tend to find them easier. I just kind of go, well, just, like, I just can't figure all this out, so I'll just do this, I'll just move the step forward, I can do that. And I, I'm just a lot more pragmatic about how it's going to turn out. And it's the small stuff. It's the little nuancing. It's like someone didn't put this header on this document in the right bloody font. And it's like, you know, it's like Times New Roman rather than Ariel. You know, it's like I I worry. Like that's the kind of stuff that I worry. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, it's just like this stuff is so trivial. But it's like it's I don't know. It's it's strange. It kind of like it's
1: create issues in your present, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. But it's like the small stuff gets to me more than the big stuff. And it and it really shouldn't. I just like, it really, really shouldn't. And I don't know why.
1: Do you know what I've started to realize a lot with, currently I'm in a role where I'm not super satisfied. So I got to work a lot on mm. me to be happy in it. And it's fascinating to see mm. that is every day I come in, it's just a mental shift. I can walk in and be annoyed at Ariel over Times New Roman, or I can just remember it doesn't matter. Most things actually in the day-to-day don't matter. Do, do a little good here and there, mm. show up, smile, Everything else actually works out. And it's, it's when I say this out loud, it's like, yeah, of course. But actually, in the day-to-day, most days I show up, I'm worried. I'm stressed about the mm-hmm. Times New Roman. But the few days I as to not be. And you suddenly see how trivial things are. And you see other people, how attached they are to these small problems. It's really fascinating. And it it's a little bit sad, too. Because you can then see there's a lot of people here who just... I don't know why they're trying to find issues, find things to look for. To put their mind to. Do, do you think no it's a lack to. of
0: meaning? I mean, that's what's going through my mind is that Ooh, if if topic. I had a life <laughs> that I felt was that my day to day activity and my work, my vocation, career, whatever whatever label you want to put on it that fits you, if that was really meaningful for you, would 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 you get stressed by this small stuff? And and so if you don't have that. You're looking for meaning, and it's like, okay, well, I need to add value. I need to do something meaningful, and so we 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 start scraping around in the chicken feed. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I, no, no, yeah.
1: I, I hear what you're saying, but it's again. So, what are you looking for? It's that perfection in a role. Because even if you had your perfect role, would you at some point be like, oh, the admin side of it you don't like? But you got this. Not perfection.
0: it's not a perfection it, role. It's 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 a meaningful role. It's something that, um. It, it, in a way, it let me try and find a better way of saying this. If you had a role that um, really felt that your life was worth, had been worthwhile, let's let's put it like that, right? And that manifests itself through your work. Would you care about Times New Roman? I
1: think, again, I'm going to go back to my answer. I think it depends, again, on your mental state, because what if you really like 90% of your job? It gives you meaning. It gives back to the community. It gives you purpose, right? It does something good for the world. But the last 10% you hate. But you got to do the 10%. Now, say if the 10% of your job is just a tiny, tiny fraction of your work per week, you're fine with it. What if the 10% of your job is actually a big part of your job? What do you feel about your job now? See, so Again, I, it's, it's a mental yeah. shift. If you walk into this, and I, a lot of the times I work in the work, it's like, oh, these things I really don't like. But you know what? It's okay. I can breathe. I can just work through them. I don't need every second of my life to be special. And mm. that's kind of, because I've been chasing the perfect job for a long time. And I've changed between like healthcare. I've been in the military. I've been in the hospitality service. I'm, I'm working in um, the private sector, and it's. I don't know if it exists. I worked with people. Worked no. with numbers. At the end of the day, it's, it's all a means to an end. Is it not? Well, or does well, that minimize see, your well, point? Because it could.
0: <laughs> well, but I kind of you know if if all of these different career paths have been for you. means to an end what is the end
1: no don't get me wrong say when i worked in healthcare, i worked at end-of-life care so that that's the Mm. most meaningful job i've ever had so what did that entail say you were 95 you were put in an elder care facility and you weren't going to move out that's that was the last place you were going to live and at some point you were going to die and that's when they brought me in to sip with you say if you didn't have family or something and i could be a part of I've, I've always find that's the second biggest event in your life. You get born, that's a big one, and mm-hmm. you die, that's the second big. It's huge. That was extremely meaningful. But there were still parts of the job I hated. So there was yeah. still times when oh, I walked oh, in. Oh, and, oh uh, that's...
0: So okay. I, 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 definitely, I definitely agree with that. You're never going to find anything that you get pleasure out of 100% of the time. Because even if you have 100% pleasure, you're going to get to the point of, like, this is the same <laughs> and it's boring and you know I want a different type of pleasure or it's just too much or whatever it is so it's it's less about that it's you know and I'm, I'm always kind am of drawn to this kind of statement which was about relationships where uh, there's, there seems to be this kind of pop culture around uh, you need to have fun in your relationship and mm. your marriage or your partner, whatever it is. And it needs to be fun. And it needs to be exciting. You need to do all these things and it needs to be light, yeah, like, whatever it is. And you need to be happy, right? And I'm like, that, fucking hell, have you ever been married? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you... seriously? <laughs> well, you know, it's like, and it can be like that. And there are periods like that. But that is, you know, and so when you get kids as well, it's like, that is not, you know, you take a 20-year marriage, a 10-year marriage, whatever it is, That that is you know, that is not 90% fun, joy, relaxed, happy stuff. It's, it is people arguing over dishes, you know, it, it's financial pressures, it's children, it's lack of sleep, it's, um, you know, parents die, or whatever, right? Yeah. And the joyful moments, and this is a personal belief, joyful moments are not enough to carry you through difficult times. Not whatsoever. And if that's what you've got to fall back on you know, if you've had six months, nine months in a marriage and relationship where things have just kind of got so bad that, you know, there has been no joyful moments, you can't, you can't go recall a joyful moment from three years ago. And that, that will sustain you through the hard times. No, you need meaning in your marriage, you need a deeper connection, something that carries you through, which makes those hard times worth suffering and bearing. Right. And and so I think what you're saying is lines up with that in, in terms of a career is that you were doing something that you've sounds like you felt was very meaningful you and so the, you'll tolerate the 10% it's like I don't care about the 10% because I'm doing this 90% stuff which is and you could probably if, if that t- also if that 10% stuff if it wasn't 90% it was more like 10 or 15% and that was so meaningful to you you'd tolerate 85% of garbage as well right sure. because that, That's good that 15% is gold and you would just go well, I'll tolerate all this other stuff because I you know this thing is really really meaningful for me And so kind of when I'm thinking about getting stressed about these little things, I do wonder if it's because we don't have enough meaning, meaningful stuff, like stuff that's really, really important to us, because we just don't know what it is. And society doesn't really tell us to do that. You know, there's this whole kind of thing around, you find your purpose. You know, like, you know, most of the time this is just, you know, some corporate thing, you know, to kind of get you to start your own business up so they can tax you in a different way or something. I'm being a little bit cynical, but...
1: I'm going to throw something out there that you might not agree with and probably won't. But I really do believe that the narrative of finding meaning in your life is completely irrelevant to finding meaning, to finding meaning in your life. Because it's, we're all part of this grand cosmic kind of adventure. And we all play a tiny part. And no matter how big and important you make yourself in your own mind, in the grand scheme of things, we matter not a whole lot. So the end uh, of the day. So
0: so so I I was going to partly agree with you, but go on, go on, finish your thought, and then I'll, I'll I'll jump in.
1: So at the end of the day, I I do believe those people who chase the meaning kind of forget that actually the meaning mm-hmm. bring it back to the present. is just be okay with what you have. You can yeah, you can work for other things. Cool. You of course you're going to show up and do a good job and help others and be kind, and that will hopefully transpire into something great for you. But you only have the present, so that mm-hmm. meaning you're searching for is in the future. And if you're going to keep looking into your own head and fantasy and not find it there even, you might as well start looking in the present about what you have, even though it might not seem meaningful.
0: So I kind of agreeing and also partly disagreeing in my head, as you, you say. So I, I agree that if, if you are looking for meaning that isn't in your present moment, then, yeah, you, you're lost. Because you'll never have it. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, uh, 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 there the was something I think. Again, I'm, I'm going to quote Eckhart Tolle here. He said something which was really. I think it was in in a New Earth in, in that book, and he said you've you've got one you've got one meaning. You you got one purpose, which is to awaken. That that's kind of how he phrased it. And he also described an inner purpose and an outer purpose. So your inner purpose is to awaken, and your outer purpose is the outer expression of that in your life uh, my my kind of sense on it or my personal view on it is that the meaning of our life is to experience and whatever it is you're experiencing that is the meaning of it the, yeah, and, and we, we're always looking this is what I mean, Like the mysticism isn't elsewhere, it isn't on the internet, it isn't going to be in your next job it isn't going to be on the next promotion or the next relationship, the meaning is in the experience you're having now. And people go, yeah, I don't want that. And they chuck it away and they look for something else and they keep picking it up. It's like, no, that rock, don't want that one either. It's like, That's, that is it. You've got it in your hands, but we don't see it. And we just chuck it away because we're looking for some gold and we haven't cleaned the rock off to go, oh, well, actually, yeah, there is gold. there. it's just, just covered in mud. And, and so for me, meaning is to experience fully and presently that richness and mysticism of life, like right in this moment, I say, just as we're talking in these chairs right now and having this conversation, this experience here in this moment is exactly what it's meant to be. And it's we, you know, and I'm kind of going to go slightly into my own kind of personal philosophy here, which is I, I believe that we as individuals are here to have the universe express a possibility of life through us, and. And so if we go through life not fully living and present and awakened to that possibility, we're kind of missing the point of why we're here. Yeah. and
1: Do you know, and it's, I love that you brought that in because I I know as a recovering addict, that when you said that a few weeks back, it it made my entire mind and perspective shift all at once. Because I thought for so long, you know in recovery they always talk about leaning on your higher power give it away in a sense it's just like trust that the world will work out for you in one way or another but i still struggled sitting with the difficult feelings when people said just give it away i was like i can't i can't Uh give it away i'm sitting with it i can no matter how many times i say please take these feelings i was still Uh sitting in them but actually looking at them in the way you're describing, them, you know, it's experience you're supposed to have. That's the that's the fun of life. Yes. That's the your that's your unique experience, which no one else mm. will have, which is actually yeah. quite unique. And I was suddenly like, yeah. oh, actually, there's some value in this difficult, like these difficult feelings I'm having. They're not just awful. I'm suddenly seeing value
0: here. Mm. And like, and, and no one no one can have the experience you have on life, right? Even though we're on the call together, my experience of this call is. Com- not You know, not exactly, you know, not 100% different, but it is not your experience. Yeah. And, and, and so we're really this, like, I feel like life is a massive gift to us of saying, here you go, you have an opportunity for your higher power for the universe, however you want to think about it, to express life through you. And you get a window, you get your own private cinema show just for Chris for your life. And that is such a it's a responsibility but not in a burdensome way it is a honor to to do that and and i think one of the it feels a very westernized culture that we have of curating experience you know we've got a whole tapestry an orchestra of experiences to go through in life and emotions to feel and thoughts and experiences it's infinite and we go no 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 we we want this narrow little set of experiences over here, which are which we're going to call positive experience, which is a pleasant and we like these because we, we like the sensation in our bodies and we like how we feel in our bodies through that. And those are in effect the only valid set of experiences, you know, and, and you, you, you know, everything in our culture is about chasing those experiences. Buy something to make yourself feel good. Dress, buy this clothes, get this car. It'll make you feel good. You're special. You're worth it. It'll make you feel nice. It'll make you feel comfortable. Buy this food. It'll make you, you know, it'll satisfy you. And it's it's just the biggest false profit of our society today, in my view, of just trying to curate this very, very narrow experience and, and almost kind of excluding anything else as a valid experience. And-
1: You know, and I think that's why we as addicts struggle a lot because, or society in general. If you want to make it very wide, but as addicts, it's you're seeking specific experiences, and you kind of expect, you you kind of know what you're expecting. I think that's the big thing Mm -hmm. for normal people as well. You go to Disney World because you want a lot of nice colors, a lot of nice rides, some Mm -hmm. half okay food, but that you know exactly what you
0: you know exactly what you get. Some pizza, some Mickey Mouse pizza shapes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, they're, they're overpriced. Yeah, don't buy them.
1: <laughs> but I remember when I, there was a period in when I hit my rock bottom, so to speak, in recovery, and I told my wife everything I've done. Everyone I've slept with, mm. every way I've hurt her without her knowing, everywhere I've Ooh. hurt myself without her knowing, there was, there's been a button in front of me for years before that happened. Mm. And I knew I could click it. Clicking that means telling her and being honest and coming out completely. Be like, I have an issue. I cannot cope with my feelings. The longer I waited, the more nuclear that button became and the more afraid I was to touch it. But at some point I smashed that button. I hit it so hard. It was nobody's business. And the funny bit is my expectation was, well, now the world's going to implode. That's the nuke. That's it. Everyone's, everyone's going to disappear. I'm going to disappear. The universe stopped existing and that's it. Actually, I got an uncurated experience. I clicked the button and suddenly it was completely quiet in my head. So me and my wife we were sitting in we were actually on vacation at the time and i remember it was two weeks of intense talking not really a whole lot of sleep Mm. did i feel a lot of feelings yes but i never felt more peaceful in an experience i've never wanted to have Uh. and i think at that point for me in recovery it's just knowing and this is so fleeting this depends on the day the year the season where the moon is in the sky but when I have that feeling, of, it almost feels like being born again. And then you start looking for the experiences in the moment. I don't need this in land to be happy anymore. It can be nice, but I don't need it. I don't need to look externally. I actually now find so much joy within. Uh, and it sounds weird. Journaling on paper, talking to myself on paper. I'm like, well, I am interesting. There's a lot going on here. Uh, and I'm uncovering. I don't know what I'm about to find. I don't think most people do that. I think addicts are so lucky that they get to go through such an awful ramp up until they hit that point where it's time (laughs) to ask for help. And then you actually have, as as most people, as an adult, you have a chance to try again. And it's so much easier when you're an adult to try again.
0: I want want to bookmark your disclosure to your wife at some point. Maybe maybe not today, but I I am really interested to kind of – because that seems like a pretty full-on disclosure – and I know there are different views on disclosure, particularly to a partner and it things like that. It was unprepared and it was, but oh. she,
1: I, she got everything. Mm. She got everything she asked for. She, because at that okay. point I was like, I've had my say and mm. I'm done having my say. I've tried. Look, oh, I'm so, yeah, mm. I'm so, I'm so smart that I've landed myself in this situation. My smartest self did so mm. much dumb stuff that I completely let go. That's the best thing I ever did. Let me hear. Yeah. Mm. But that's tangential to the whole point of expectations of future, and how people ex- like seeking yeah. one experience, but it's, it's really mind blowing. Just sitting, not expecting anything and just receiving what you receive. Kind of being grateful for what you get.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I have to say that I, I have been a, very typical addict in terms of trying to control life, trying to control the set of experiences that I've had, been reacted very adversely when they haven't turned out the way I've wanted them to turn out, uh, from from big stuff to little stuff, you know, to, you know, aerial point font or whatever, and have really strangely pushed away from, Experiencing, experiencing emotions, largely because I I've, I've felt they've been overwhelming and they were just very difficult. I think for me, there were a couple of very core emotions dri- driven from some key events pre- pretty young um, in in my life that... Uh, I just, I just didn't know how to handle, and yeah. and actually, quite frankly, box them off so that I didn't even remember them until quite quite later on into my adult life. And it's only fairly recently a lot of those have kind of started. You know, it's been a gradual process, but they've started, you know, to, to kind of open up bit by bit. And um, I think once you're on that journey, it's just a process. It just takes time, and you just keep digging, you just keep pulling stuff up, and then you go, okay, like I've I've kind of pulled almost every. I mean, there still may be more skeletons, but I feel like I've got nothing left now and I've, I've had a good route around and I'm there. But this whole thing of just wanting to change my emotional state because really, you know, it's, I kind of go back to that kind of soundproof box again, you know, that, that, that bunker I had of emotions. I always knew it was there and I could, and that thing was, was going to blow, right? And and, and it would, it like, you know, you would have the pressure valve would come out and, and that was my acting out behavior, that, that that's my analogy of it. Now it was, I uh, had this little nuclear reactor which was overheated. It was on meltdown. Um, didn't didn't know how to deal with it, and so and every so often it would you know blow off a load of radioactive gas and just kind of spew out some stuff, and I would go and do something, and I would have no idea why I was doing it, absolutely none. Which which circles back quite nicely, actually. How, how am I like? How was this week? And I've I've had a bit of a turbulent week actually, because when I, when I did my step four, I had, um, it was, it was really triggering actually really, really like so much more triggering than I thought it was. And it was,
1: yeah, because you dug deep.
0: Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, you know, typical addict don't, you know, don't do things by halves, just kind of (laughs) go nuts (laughs) with it. (laughs) 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 It's like touche. It's like come around again. So yeah, I, I just went full bore onto it and just, I, I really kicked the pants out of it. Um, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to nail this. I mean, but you might as well.
1: You you get, you can do as many times as you want,
0: but it's easy (laughs) to do. You get out what you put in. Right. And and I, I really wanted to work it as honestly and as diligently as I could do. And, uh, yeah. And, and there was, I, I mean, you know, we have the whole halt thing, you know, the hungry, angry, lonely, tired, and they're, they're true to me in varying degrees. Um, you know, some more extent than, than others, but, um, the 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 ones that aren't in there are you know resentments and fear and i've been a pretty resentful person and really harbored some resentments and some petty stuff it seems petty but it's the tip of the iceberg really it's the stuff underneath that is really down below at the bottom of the the iceberg that has been pretty major and i kind of got sight to that and it's the same with the fears and i kind of got to a bunch of core fears um And they were really triggering when I was doing my step four. I really had to kind of pace myself. I had to work my program on some days pretty, pretty strongly to stay sober. And, um, but anyway, kind of moved on from it, kind of like, you know, dusted it down, kind of moved through the steps. And, um, and then pretty recently I just kind of started to get really triggered. I'm like, what the heck is happening here? Like, I'm just, you know, and and I, I felt I was moving into this middle circle, but interestingly in an emotional middle circle, not a, not a, not to going to funny parts of town, not looking at kind of enticing, like, you know, cause they, you know, those are kind of quite concrete behaviors. There was none of that, but it was just emotionally, I just felt disconnected. I felt I was in my head a lot. I had um, a lot of like f- thinking about the future, which is basically a fear and then started to feel really triggered after a few days. And I'm like, where is this coming from? and what i kind of got to was i i realized that i had um i I'd, I'd resigned myself in my head that i would never be in a long-term relationship again you know i've i've been divorced uh twice with two families and uh, made a bit of a hash of things And (laughs) to say the least, and um, I'm kind of going, well, you know, I'm not going to get married again at my age and uh, not going to be a long term relationship. Um, And, you know, I've kind of got meaningful connections uh, through this fellowship, which is great. I've got a ton of people's numbers on my phone and people call me and I call people lots of outreach and I do meetings and service. And it just feels, you know, that feels really good and connected. And what I'd realized is that I... Had decided in my mind that I wasn't worthy of a relationship, like an intimate relationship, and you know, a, a partner, because because of the baggage I bring and the risk that I bring to a relationship. And if someone did want to be in a relationship with me, then okay, I am sober today, but there is no guarantees. Uh, I, you know, this, you know, it's one day at a time in this fellowship, as as all the other twelve-step fellowships. And even though I and I just didn't want to hurt anyone again. I'm, I'm just I'm just done hurting people and uh, through ignorance I mean partly I knew what I was doing but I didn't really know I didn't I didn't really understand what I was doing right so th- that, that's where the forgiveness comes in and, and I'm not shirking any responsibility whatsoever for my behaviors and my actions and, and what I've done none whatsoever that's all on me but also there's some forgiveness in there because I I didn't really understand what I was what was going on I was blind to my own processes and and so while I'm sober today there's no guarantee that I won't have a slip in the future and I just don't want to hurt anyone I just you know that it's you know particularly with this addiction and and you know you've you're you know you've um, you, you've got a few more than I have um, with your, uh, your drugs and drugs and alcohol. But I'm, you know, I, uh, you know, I, I've just doubled down on my on, on this addiction. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you can tell me, but it feels that it's more, it's potentially more damaging into a relationship. You know, I, I could imagine if you went on a bender for the weekend, and you got drunk, and, you know, your wife didn't know where you were, that's that's going to be very distressing, you know, you you might wind up dead. So there's a lot of you know, I'm not. I'm not making light of it, but you know, being with another partner and slipping like that is has a really different tone in the intimacy of a relationship. I feel, and I just didn't want to do that. And I just thought, so I just come to this conclusion in my head. I didn't even know it, but just there's this belief in me that I just wasn't worthy of a relationship. That I'm just not worth this risk. I'm not worth the trade-off, and I don't bring enough good stuff to the relationship. And um I didn't want someone to make that choice with me and, and but bringing it into the light actually just, just, just helps. And it's, it yeah.
1: And how are you sitting with all that right now?
0: It's kind of okay, actually, because what I, you know, you know, if, if I go into a meeting and someone said that, I would just say, you are completely worthy. You're completely lovable. Um, no one's perfect in, in this ideal is perfect. And and I think your sponsor says this perfection is a word that re- doesn't actually reference anything. And I think it's a one, a beautiful way of f- phrasing it. Um. And um yeah, I, uh, yeah, I was in some meetings this week. I did a lot of outreach and it just felt really good to bring it. Like once I had sight of it and I had an awareness of it, it kind of came out and then I looked at it. It's like, okay, this is fine. But, all of this stuff was triggering under the surface, which you know I had no idea of before. So yeah, I'm kind of very, very grateful for it. But it's um, yeah, not not running away from those emotions, but you've got to have an awareness for them in the first place. And I, you know, I, I think I thought I was pretty aware. I thought I'm pretty in connecting with my feelings now compared to who I was. But this this just like hit me from nowhere. It's like wow, you know. So lo- lots of stuff is hidden always. I think.
1: And to ask you a question that might be easy or difficult, depending on, are you still sober?
0: Yes, I am. Thank, Thankfully, with my higher power in this program. Yeah, I am. Well done. Um, well done. Thank you. And, and it's, but it's, uh, you know, it, it's interesting because what we're talking about uh, before about experiences. When I kind of was slipping into that bubble, like I knew I was getting into trouble, but I didn't know what was happening. And I couldn't quite see... All I could see was just that I'm in this, I'm, I'm going in the wrong direction, and it's not trending where I want it to trend. And a little bit of panic, actually, a little bit of fear of, like, where I'm going. <clears throat> and then when I when I think it started to clear and I started to get some clarity, and, you know, th- this is why having chats with fellows and outreach is so, so important, because it helps us reference the problem space because when we're in the problem we can't see the problem because we're in it we are the problem so just handing it over to someone just gives us that perspective to be able to understand and and see it in a different light even if they don't offer advice or anything they just hold the space for us just to just to get some distance and um yeah and so kind of at the end of the week well probably middle of the week actually just started to kind of feel yeah i can see what's going on it's now brought into the light and it just it passes and it's like okay this is you know these are my core fears like they're always there you know I'm afraid of being abandoned I'm afraid of not being good enough I'm afraid of being rejected I'm afraid of dying I'm afraid my life won't have meaning Um, I'm afraid of physical pain like like extreme pain like being tortured to death like I'm you know and or you know I'm afraid that my loved ones will be hurt and I won't be able to help them like those are core fears for me they're never going away because guess what that's life. Life is scary and it's got a ton of fear in it and I can't control that stuff and just kind of just accepting it. And so just bring it into the light, just like, okay, this is fine. I know it's there and I don't need to worry about it. You know, I, I just surrender it off and off I go.
1: And on that note Sue, an hour has just flown by. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. I'm really looking forward to next time. Have a good rest of your week.
0: Likewise. Thank you, Chris. Um, till next time.